0: Good morning, morning. turning your Bibles to James chapter 5, according to a traditional Hebrew story, Father Abraham was sitting outside his tent one evening when he saw an old man, old man weary from age and journey coming towards him. Abraham rushed to greet him, invited him to his tent, He even washed the old man's feet and gave him food and drink. The old man immediately began eating without saying any prayer or blessing. So Abraham asked him, Don't you worship God? The old traveler replied, I worship fire only and reverence no other God. When he heard this, Abraham became enraged, grabbed the old man by the shoulders, and threw him out of his tent into the cold night air. When the old man had left, God called to his friend Abraham and said, Where is the stranger? Abraham said, I forced him out because he did not worship you. God answered, I've suffered him these 80 years. Although he dishonors me, could you not endure him one night? this uh, I don't know about you guys, but James has been beating me up a lot. This is not an easy book, right? This is not an easy book to hear on Sunday mornings, guys. Um, it's just going to put your faith to the test. So I'll, I'll give you the um, the ending before the beginning. Today we talk about being patient, and it's not just being patient uh, with circumstances. It actually has to do with being patient with people. And it's not just people, it's actually Christians. It's not just Christians, it's Christians who are doing you wrong. That is what we're called to do. Let's read James chapter 5. We'll start in verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. but Let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Lord Jesus Christ, again, we thank you for your word. Thank you so much that... um, Again, we just admire the way you put things together. Uh, There's books like James that are just so uh, straight to the point. And there's times in our lives where we need to hear that. There's books about how you walked on earth and how you're compassionate. There's stories of Old Testament saints messing up. There's Proverbs when we need wisdom. There's Psalms when we need emotional encouragement. There's Revelation when we need hope of our future calling. There's so much in your words. And so now that we are... In this book, Lord, we pray again that you would see fit, that your spirit would control me and that it would be powerful in the room, that we would have our hearts turned towards you and that there's things we need to change in our lives, that we would, by your strength, be willing to change and start to work through that process or to even just make a decision today and not look back, that we might be more holy and glorify you more. Thank you so much that you're coming again. We pray that you would give us endurance until then. And uh, we do look forward to your coming, Lord. We pray that it can even be today as we speak. We don't have any problems with that. And yet we know that you are long-suffering. So, Lord, during this time, be honored and glorified above all. In your name, amen. Patience. It was interesting. I knew the next portion when Dave George was speaking last week because uh, in my version, verse 7 starts with, Therefore. And so as Dave was doing his little booming voice there um, and, and talking about just how uh, these Christians are storing up for themselves riches. And if you look back in, uh, I think it's verse uh, four, indeed, the wages of your laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. So these are Christians making money and oppressing other believers, um, these other believers are poor. And if you start to, as we see here through the book of James, it's kind of like, um, not necessarily a theme, but there's a lot here on how to deal with people. There's a lot about the rich, right? Like, hey, remember we talked about, uh, personal favoritism? Don't, don't sit there and just go to the rich person. In fact, you who are poor, it talks about, and so he's talking to a people that might not have a lot, that are being oppressed, and not by the world, by other Christian people. And God is saying, listen, They're going to get what's coming to them. There's judgment coming. But for you, therefore, you be patient. You be patient. And the idea of being patient is not even just kind of like, oh, oh well. It's the idea of you don't resist, which I'm telling you personally, I struggle with. Not knowing exactly the circumstances that if you're getting treated wrong in your business, do you have a right as a believer to sit there and say, hey, this is wrong, this is unjust? Absolutely. But it doesn't... Mean or give you freedom to take things into your own hands, either. That's why James is saying, Hey, guys, remember the Lord's coming. He's going to deal with this. You be patient. You be patient. And I don't know about you, but that's not fun for me. <laughs> I, don't like, I don't like to hear that stuff. So he gives us a few examples. If something comes out of there, I'm running. <laughs> Let's take a moment. Yes, thank you. I have a lot of jokes running through my mind right now. All right. Thank you, sir. Why should we be patient in the midst of Christians treating us bad? Well, one, is because the Lord's coming. And when he comes, he's going to reward us. That could be the motivation. But two, he's kind of talking about the farmer here, and it's really James is trying kind to of teaching the Jewish people here, along with us, saying, listen, you understand, this is a lifestyle of believers. This is a lifestyle to be patient. And he's talking about the farmer. He says, here, "...see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth." That word precious is kind of interesting. It's talking about those farmers understood this is more than money to them. This is actually my necessity to live. So he's actually kind of comparing versus the rich people he was just talking about. These farmers with their precious fruit. This is the good stuff. Just being able to eat and live. You realize that they do all this work and they wait for the early and latter rain. And I want us to think again, being a society that's not too agricultural, what it is to be a farmer. Over there in the Middle East, in Israel, they had two rainy seasons. That's it. One around, I believe, November, and one around March, April. And so the rain in the beginning actually helped break up the ground, and when you planted the seed, you needed that rain to uh, start the process of growing the plant. And then they would grow, and then you would wait. You would wait for March, April rain, because without that rain, you're, you're... Produce would not be that well. Um, the corn wouldn't be as big. It might be uh, kind of deformed. And so you needed the latter rain so you could really reap a good harvest. But as you know, as a farmer, you do all of this work. You prep the ground. You till it. You put the seeds in. And then you just wait. Because as much work as you do to produce fruit, you know that you are not in control. Without the rain, all of your work is useless. All of it. And there's nothing you can do. You still have to do the work. You got to (laughs) eat. And so you wait from November to December to January to February to March, and you're waiting for rain. (laughs) And you can start to see things grow, but you're waiting, waiting. And then hopefully those rains come, and you have a big harvest. You know, this former and latter reign is mentioned numerous times in the Old Testament. The Jewish people knew it well. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 14. Actually, we'll start in verse 13. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you might eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Having patience as a believer is tough. Because as we do this work of trying to sow seeds and things of that nature, trying to produce fruit in our lives, we know that we're absolutely powerless without the Lord that he has to bring the fruit. He has to bring the rain. Rain was a picture of God's faithfulness, saying, listen, if you obey me, if you love me, you can trust that I'm going to bring the rain. And I'm going to make your things grow. And you're going to be satisfied. It's okay. But was there ever times of drought in Israel? Absolutely. I don't know how all that works individually versus together as a nation. But I tell you this, if the rain didn't come, it would make you think. Where are we in our faithfulness to the Lord? Is there a drought because we've been sinning? Is there no rain because we've actually gone after other gods? And so I want you to think about all those thoughts when it comes to the people in the book of James. Because they are being oppressed by believers and life is tough. And they're told, you better be patient and wait. and Just wait. But there has to be a part of their lifestyle, right, that goes, wait a minute. Are we being punished by God? Is this because of our sins? And there's a lifestyle of endurance for the believer that is kind of interesting the way God has set it up. When things don't go right, it's good for us to sit there and go, wait a minute. Is there sin in our lives? Is something going on that is causing this? And if not, God's going to provide. And our attitude should be such that we trust the Lord regardless of what happens. You can't see the fruit until it fully grows. And guys, you know this, right? That there are things that we do in our lives. There are things we endure as believers. There is... Bad trials that happen to us that stretch us that hopefully by God's grace we overcome we will not see the fruit of that until he returns and James is just telling it very clearly saying guys you're not going to get it down here you're not going to always see it down here but he's coming back and when he does trust me he's coming as a rewarder but don't sit here and think that you are definitely going to see all your problems solved right now in fact Your job is to be patient because patience proves that my hope and my calling and I'm putting all my stock into a future event. And that's Jesus Christ fully redeeming me. But that's extremely hard as a believer. But that's the calling. That's the calling. That we sit here and we wait patiently for the Lord to return, even when things are oppressing us and it's not our fault. That's the calling, guys. I just want to be blunt. (laughs) That's what you signed up for as a believer. And in this land, it's usually not physical. (laughs) In this land, it's usually not we're waiting for food to come or something like that. In this land, it's oppression by people just bothering you, by discouraging you, by saying things they shouldn't to you. Verse 8, it says, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. To establish yourself means you set yourself firmly. So again, the bar is getting raised. It is not, well, I'll just kind of sit here and be patient. Hopefully it works out. It is a set, firm idea in your heart and mind saying, I have planted myself right here in this faith. God will take care of me. doesn't matter about my circumstances. I am firm in this conviction. He's coming back, and he's a rewarder. He's coming back, and I'm going to heaven. This is not a doubt in my mind. This is actually what enables me to be patient. I've established this in my heart and in my mind. God's going to take care of me. So when those Christians, not even the world, when the Christians are coming at me and cheating me and and accusing me of bad things and making my life miserable, I can stand firm and be patient because my God's coming. And at that point, I just turn it over to Him. (laughs) It's tough. You ever sat there at the beach... It's kind of like a game. If you sit right at the ocean's water, if you're at the beach and the tide comes in, it rips out the sand from underneath your feet. And you try to, you know, me and my kids do this once in a while. We just say, how long can we stand? Because every wave that comes in, your feet are sinking and it doesn't really go out evenly and you kind of trip and fall and you're trying to plant yourself, but then the game turns in like you can't move. You just have to sit there and see how long you can stand. doesn't work. doesn't work if you're on the sand. I'll tell you what else. I've been in mud up to my knees. It's pretty firm. I can't move. Established. I've been out there, like I said, I've, and you actually have to keep moving or you are going to stand there forever. Because <laughs> you're just going to just sit there and you kind of slowly start to sink into the mud and you realize, I'm not going anywhere. I just think of how good are we really at establishing our hearts. Are we really firm in this? <laughs> I would beg to say that the fact that he's commanding us to establish our hearts means he knows we don't establish our hearts. <laughs> he's reminding them. He's saying, guys, you've got to establish this. you got to put this in your heart. You've got to stand firm. The reason we can be motivated to establish our hearts is because the coming of the Lord is at hand. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Do you really believe that he will reward you even when you're here? Remember Dave talked about this? In fact, the book of James talked about it. In the first chapter, it talks about the crown of life. Dave was talking about it. Guys, not only do we get heaven and forgiveness of our sins, he's actually saying, listen, I'm coming with rewards. And if you have a personal relationship with him, if you actually care about your relationship, you'll care about the reward. You'll care about the reward. It's something between you and him. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8 it says this In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing There's a crown just for looking forward to him coming I think we've talked about that already there's a crown just for looking forward to his coming just being excited about him coming back There's a crown The crown. And so practically what we talked about before is it should be on our lips. We should actually have conversations with each other. Be like, wow, what if God came back today? Wouldn't that be great? Wow, guys, you know, I saw this. It reminded me of the Lord coming back one day. It should be on our lips. But when he comes, we have said this over and over again. I want a lot of rewards. (laughs) Not because I've earned them, just enough to even throw them down at his feet. But there's definitely a part, too, that you want to be able to have some kind of, um, as a believer, just to, if he is our father and he gives good gifts to him, wouldn't you want to just honor your father with a lot of gifts? Wouldn't you want to just make him happy? Like it's not about the reward, but it is about the fact that if you guys sit there and get 100 million rewards and I get one little handful, I'm going to feel bad. I'm not sure how the whole theology of that works. I don't think we feel bad, stuff like that. I'm just telling you from a human perspective right now, I want a lot of rewards just to honor him. And being patient till he comes is one of the ways we can do that. During his 1960 presidential campaign, John F. Kennedy often closed his speeches with the story of Colonel Davenport, the Speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives. On May 19, 1780, the sky of Hartford darkened. Some of the representatives, glancing out of the windows, feared the end was at hand. Davenport rose and said, The day of judgment is either approaching or it's not. If it is not, there's no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, I wish that candles be brought. Rather than fearing what's to come, we are to be faithful till Christ returns. Instead of fearing the dark, we're to be lights as we watch and wait. (laughs) These Christians he's writing to are being oppressed by other believers. And he's saying, You stand and wait. You wait for the Lord to come. He's coming. He's coming, and He's going to judge. So just be patient and wait. It's just another reminder, practically, that we should be seen doing, how do I want to say it, a Christian lifestyle when He comes. You know, sometimes we'd like, in Sunday school, like, ooh, what if I got caught my hand in the cookie jar when He came? That's Not really what we want to present. What we do want to present is how was your lifestyle when he comes. Because actually, it's easier to talk about the cookie jar. When he comes back, would you sit there and say, wow, my life's over. Okay. I was found worthy. I was found doing what I was supposed to be doing as a believer. Or if he comes back today, will you sit there and go, nope. There really is uh, nothing worse probably than getting caught not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So we have these two-hour meetings at school. They're the worst. No one does anything except me. I'm just kidding. We have two-hour meetings. Most teachers only have hour meetings. I'd like to pull the teacher card now. And a lot of these meetings are just foolish. And so you talk to your friends for like an hour, but you always leave out your laptop just to make sure if someone comes in, it looks like you're busy. That's the way it goes. And then you want to make sure you've written at least something to turn in to your principal later. Well, there was times where definitely we actually were working in a meeting and probably doing good work for about 40, 45 minutes. And then because of my kitchen, maybe we decided to cook some food instead. And then who pops in? The principal. At that point, there is no, no, really, we've been working for the last 45 minutes. Those conversations go out the window, and you are caught not doing something you're supposed to be doing. And that's it. That's it. And the principal doesn't get that upset. Maybe the principal goes, guys, get back to work. I get it. It's a two-hour meeting. But, I, you know. I I don't want that to happen if the Lord comes. I don't want the Lord to happen and say, you know what? For 10 years, I've been saying I'm going to do this ministry, and I never did it. Never did it. For 10 years, I've been saying I'm going to witness to that person. I never did it. And boom, suddenly the Lord's here. What are you (laughs) going to say? I really wanted to. I really meant to. I really was going to. At that point, it really is too late. And I'm not trying to do a big guilt trip again. uh, You know, as deep theology of exactly how we're going to feel during those times. But I tell you, it will feel nice if when he comes, we're serving the Lord. (laughs) It'll feel great. It'll feel absolutely wonderful. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It actually gives us examples. Down in verse 10, it says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, and it's an example of suffering and patience. One of the things that hit me when I was thinking about this was, not only did they suffer, but they were actually patient in it. That's what it says. They're an example of suffering and patience. It is one thing to suffer for the Lord. It's another thing to have your attitude actually be good while you do it. It's another thing. It's another thing to actually have the testimony that says, while I was suffering as a prophet, I was actually also patient. I didn't lash out. As I said before, these words patient here in these two verses are very interesting. If you do a Greek word, they are different than patient actually earlier in the book. The earlier word patient here in the book of James has to do with being patient in your circumstances. These two words actually have the idea of you be patient with people. And when you look up these words in the Greek, you see all the other times they're mentioned in the New Testament, it's constantly talking about being patient with other people. Other people. And so now, the prophets are our example. They didn't have to be necessarily patient in all these sufferings and bad things happened to them. They were patient with the people of Israel. Who were thick headed and never got it. And they suffered for it. I'm going to read to you a few verses. In Matthew chapter five, verse twelve, it says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In Acts seven fifty two it says, Which of the prophets did your fathers fail to persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one. And now you are his betrayers and murderers. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.15 it says, Who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men. You understand that there was numerous prophets that were killed for their faith. In fact, I was trying to look it up historically. Not every single one, but ones you read about, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Haggai, uh, there's some historical stuff out there. I want to just guess and say about half of them were killed for their faith. Half. And we look back and be like, oh, man, a prophet. God talked to them. That was amazing. God did wonderful things for them. Man, wouldn't that be cool to be a prophet, to be able to tell the whole nation of Israel, this is what God says. And it's kind of like a cool, prominent position. Like, not a lot of people got to be a prophet. Man, these guys had it all. They died. They were killed. They were persecuted. They had their own brethren just sit there and say, Shut up. You can't talk like that anymore. I mean, do you understand what it was like to be a prophet? It was not always the fun. Yay, let me tell you what God's saying. Usually it was a judgment call. Saying, guys, you're messing up. This is what God says. Please turn back to Him. No, we're not going to listen to you. And through that suffering, they were patient. And so again, these little verses in James, I'm just—I've been so uh, just kind of dwelling on Lord. Is this really? Is this the lifestyle of the believer? Is this it? Is this what we sign up for? Because it seems like it. It says they're an example. What is the example? What godly person do you know throughout Scripture that really served the Lord? and did it out and was not persecuted. Which ones? It's, a, it's just a sobering thought. The ones who really lived it out were persecuted. The ones who really stuck up for the Lord and talked and said what the Lord wanted to say were sometimes killed, suffered. And the bar is that you don't have a bad attitude during it. The bar is that you don't have a bad attitude during it. Because that's what's going into the next part. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Do do, do we have any idea of uh, what that would have sounded like If we heard this letter read to us as believers. You're you're telling me all these rich people are corrupt. They're messing us up. They've lived on earth in pleasure and luxury. They've done all these bad things. And you're telling me to be patient. Okay, I might be able to stomach that. But now you're telling me, don't talk bad about them either. And then you're going to put, behold, the judge is standing at the door. That would have been hard to hear. If I'm being honest, it's hard to hear now. That has these people do all these things to us, we are told we are not to grumble against them. The idea of grumbling is this. It is not even uh, talking against them out loud. The idea of grumbling against them is sighing, going, that's it. That's what he's addressing. When people bother you, don't... That's it. He's saying, you better watch out. Because as I've talked to you about the coming of the Lord and all that rewards and stuff, the judge is coming. And if you sit there and think that God's going to sit here because these people are so rich and they live in their luxury and they don't care about you, but then somehow ignore your sin of being mad and upset with them, you don't understand the judge. He's an equal, honest, fair judge. He's not going to let you grumble and sigh and have a bad attitude against them and say that's okay, but they can't have a bad attitude against you. The playing field is fair. You actually have to have a good attitude towards those who are being bad to you. That's the calling. Man, that, guys, I, I'm speechless. I, that's a hard thing. That's hard to do. I mean, God is just saying this plainly. Even if you close your mouth, even if you don't talk bad about Him, I know your heart. And you sit here in your heart and talk about all the bad things about believers. That matters to me. Do we talk bad about other believers? (laughs) Do we get mad with other believers? And again, it's justified in my mind. It's justified. He's saying, hey, judges at the door, don't grumble. Don't be like that. The bar is set so high to be a mature believer. Right? This book is about being mature, right? I mean, this is the high bar. This is a high bar. One of the ones that seems like did it good was Job. So we go back a little bit here to Job. It says there in verse 11, Indeed we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. That great story of Job. Turn to Job uh, chapter forty two. Be patient with me, please. (laughs) Most of us would know the story, right? Job has gone through a lot. He's lost everything. His family, he's got sickness. um, And his friends are there. And his friends um, probably gave him the wrong information. And so do you think Job had to try to be patient with those people talking to him? (laughs) Trying to tell him there's sin in your life or... Um, Just giving him the wrong information. Job chapter 42. uh, Let's start in verse 7. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Terminite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls, seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering And my servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Temanite and Beliad the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namanite, went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the later days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. I just thought it was interesting, in these kind of contexts, as James is trying to remind us to be patient with people, and he's going to give us an example of Job, that it's interesting that part of the restoration process here that the Lord saw fit was, yes, to restore Job's physical means, he actually gave him twice as much. Job had some decent money there at the end of his life. But more than that, it says all his brothers, sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintance came to comfort him. I mean, Why is that so important? I mean, you, you talk about kind of being in a lonely spot. No one went through what Job went through. No one. And there was no one really there to comfort him and guide him. In fact, his wife said, curse God, right? And so you you have people all around you that care about you, that should know better, weren't that much of a help. And when God restores him, all these people come back to Job, have a meal with him, give him some money. And it says, consult him and comforted him. I just think it's interesting. Again... I don't want to take things out of context at all, but I really feel like this could be a good application, is that as hard as it is to deal with people, non-believers and believers, but especially believers sometimes, because you feel like they should know better. Believers sometimes, you feel like they can hurt more than non-believers. Non-believers just don't know what they're doing. But we're called to be patient. Well, you know, it is interesting that again, there will be a time one day where all of us will be in heaven. And those people that we are so upset with or had problems against, will they console us? Will God do such an amazing work that the very ones we couldn't stand down here on earth will be the ones that are actually... uh, Just comforting us hanging out with us in heaven rejoicing together with us With the lord I mean, how can it not be like that, right? If god fully redeems us, how can it not be like that? All the christians we've had problems with will be in heaven and we will sit there hanging out with them like they're our best friends That's what's coming That's what's coming That is the full extent of what the gospel does not only just gets rid of our sin, actually restores all these relationships that were broken. That forever we will sit there and be together as one big family. And I don't even understand all that stuff, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. I mean, will, will there be a time in heaven where maybe we remember how foolish we were down here? Like I had so much anger against you. What were we thinking? Now that we're standing before the Lord in heaven, what were we thinking? What were we doing? The calling is not to even sigh and grumble against people, but to be patient. You're also called not to swear or make an oath. There's a few things here. It says, above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Kim and I were talking when this actually came up, kind of like, is this kind of like just thrown in there? Like, what it doesn't seem like it fits. Like, why is he just suddenly just talking about that? Well, in this context, I think it starts to fit absolutely because these people were used to swearing a lot like oh by heaven's sake you know I swear in my mother's dead grave this and and so they threw in a lot of religious stuff while under oppression some of them might have actually said just like Peter when they were persecuted for their faith, I promise I do not follow Jesus Christ to save their own lives that was some of the stuff that was going on too not every single person actually made it as a martyr and said no I <laughs> I'll take the death. Some people gave in. Said, okay, I, I promise, I swear to you, I, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. That's what was happening. And so as these things are going, um, and they're trying to be patient under affliction with people, he's saying, listen, don't sit there and try to throw in all these fake promises too in your daily talk. This was a very normal thing to do as a Jewish person. Uh, it, let me uh, describe it this way. A vain oath would involve calling the things of God to witness in order to make it sound like we're really binding ourselves to the truth or sincerity of something when we're not. So they go through kind of like this depression. They're like, no, no, I promise, you know, by God, I will do this or I'll do that. And they're really trying to attach themselves and almost make it sound weightier just by saying that. We do that sometimes in our culture. Um, I loved when I was in New Haven. This is an old time ago. For, like, a couple months there, the whole thing was swear to who? Swear to who? Okay, so I could sit there and listen to kids all day, be like, yo, let me borrow your sneakers. No, you won't give them back. I'll give them back. Swear to who? Swear to my mom. Okay, I'll do it. That 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 was the language. All right, and so, of course, as a teacher, a good teacher, I pick up on these things. You know what I mean? is Clifford, I didn't do my homework. Why not? My dog ate it. I said, swear to who? Oh, Mr. Clifford. And actually, about half the time, they'd be like, all right, I didn't do it. (laughs) Because they didn't want to swear on something. Now, again, I don't know if that was the best thing after reading this portion for me to do either. But the point is, you swear on something bigger than you, right? And so I always remember, too, there's different levels. There was this one kid who would be like, I swear on my dead grandmother's grave. And he'd say it for everything to where the kids got upset, like, this kid keeps swearing on his grandmother. He must not care about her. Like It was kind of like language like that. And so there's like different levels. Um, and you kind of had to like, you know, sit there and like save the big ones for a big thing. You know? So this is the kind of stuff that the Jewish people were doing. They would just attach themselves to like, hey, can I borrow some money? Yeah, sure. You can trust me. Swear to who? I swear on Father Abraham. I swear on... You know, and it was just kind of like a... And the whole point was, you couldn't just be honest. And you really were taking the lord's name in vain by saying listen as believers we're you know we trust in god but we're also you really can't trust us so let me promise some stuff my words only as good as you know these things or the whole point of swearing was like this if i say swear on god and i don't do it that means god has the right to punish me that's what it means to swear okay uh, buy something. And so it was just a lot of language that didn't make sense for these guys to be doing. Or they did it too much. They did it way too much. It involved being irreverent toward God. Um, they would swear to a vain oath um, all the time and then try to use God and the things of God in an ungodly way. Like, I want my business transactions. We'll we'll cement this by putting God in the mix. You know what I'm saying? So these people are being oppressed by rich people who are brothers, and now we got this whole language in all these business transactions too of, well, swear by heaven, by swear by father Abraham, swear by all these kinds of things. And James is saying, listen, let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Because the whole crux of this portion again today is don't be misled, people. God looks at your heart. Don't be misled that you say the right thing or you didn't even talk. But inside you're like, oh, I'm going to kill him. But you didn't say it out loud, so you think somehow that's okay. It's not okay. God, the judge, is looking at your heart. And he's telling you, be patient. Be patient in dealing with people. Because I saved you. I saved you and I'm coming back for you. And when I do come back for you, everything's restored. So that should give you some patience. Tough portion. Tough portion. Very tough. hope we encourage one another. I really do. I hope we encourage one another that we'll sit there and be patient. I hope we could be people that gently in love. When someone's talking bad about another believer, we say, you know what? Not now. Tough. Tough. But if we at Brantford Bible Chapel, when you start talking bad about another believer, can we be the ones to say, hey, man, I've been there. Not now. Not now. Can we do that? Tough? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for your patience, your long-suffering. Right, Lord, the reason you haven't come back yet is because of your patience. The reason we are not um, in heaven with you right now is you are long-suffering, willing that none should perish. And so... Lord, just help us, um, even if it's scary, to see the pattern uh, and lifestyle of a mature believer. What it looks like. Um, Lord, just thank you. Thank you for for being uh, so patient with us. A life seems like a long time to us. I know it doesn't seem a long time to you. But we can be wrapped up in things we shouldn't be for years we can be stubborn with things for years and uh lord we just thank you for your patience with us help us help us not to uh, grumble and complain in your name amen